what it do, baby. Is Monday. this thing on? Is this thing working? No. This is Sportsnet Today with Julian McKenzie. It's the OG Glizzy Gopher, man. On Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome to Sportsnet Today. On 960 The Fan, I'm Julian McKenzie. You heard that great intro. Uh, Production team today, Shan Vergy, Killicam Hughes on the ones and twos. Shan, that was well done. Thank you. I appreciate that. I put a little bit of effort into it. It took a little longer than it should have, but... You do not hear the voice of one Logan Gordon. He's taken the day off. Uh, I believe his reasoning... uh, You texted this to me today... He got in one little fight and his mom got scared. She said, you're moving with your uncle and auntie in Bel Air. That's what I was told about no, why Logan Gordon is not here. He's gone. Yeah. So he's he's gone to California. He's off to greener pastures for the foreseeable future. Some um, mentorship. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's an Uncle Phil in his life. And Viv. A Carlton. Ashley. Vivian. Yeah. Th- those are those are likely family members in, 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 in Logan Gordon's life, right? I would think so. I would I, think so. And he's going, going to play basketball. and Yeah. I, all right. I'm Everything will be fine. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, in all seriousness, Logan Gordon will be back next week on this show. Uh, but in the meantime, I'm going to be hosting today's uh, Sports That Today. We have a lot to get to. We're going to go in on that Columbus win over Calgary last night. Five two winners the Columbus Blue Jackets are. I have a lot to say about that. But uh, we will also have Mark Lazarus, who covers uh, the Chicago Blackhawks for The Athletic. Good buddy of mine. We'll have him at 1.30 to talk about the Flames' next opponent. A game that's supposed to be, it has to be, according to Michael Backlund. We'll get to him. It's supposed to be the biggest effort, the best game of the year. That has to be the best game of the year for the Calgary Flames. But yeah, we'll talk to Mark Lazarus at 1.30 uh, for that. At 2 o'clock, we'll have Matt Marchese on uh, from Sportsnet to talk NFL. And at 2.30, uh, we'll get to some texts. I have a question of the day. I'm teasing it now. Maybe I'll bring it up a little later in the show. But we're gonna get some. Uh, we're gonna get some texts, and then we're also gonna talk about what else is going on in the league. What's going on in the world of sports? It's Friday. It's the end of the week. We will find a way to fill two thirty. We will definitely find a way to fill in the first thirty minutes because, as I mentioned before, Columbus, the Blue Jackets. You all know why Columbus means something to certain people in this market because they have Johnny Gaudreau. They win five two over the Calgary Flames yesterday. That is not good. A week ago, the Calgary Flames had won four games in a row. And after that, you lose to Toronto. You lose to Edmonton. You lose to St. Louis with 48 seconds to go. A team that's in the wildcard chase just like you, Calgary. And then you lose to Columbus. The Flames have now lost both games against Columbus this season. And uh, do you have that Michael Backlund clip up that we're alluding to about how important Saturday has to be? Can you play that real quick? Uh, yeah, it's frustrating. Um, I feel like all the games, we kind of let it get out of our hands. Um, and, um, yeah, we got to look ourselves in the mirror here and play our best game of the year on Saturday. Um, going to break, um, winning, um, 
and end this streak and then um, you know um, focus on the you know the second or pass the break um, after that. Like Michael Backlund doing his absolute best as a leader for for Calgary. He's deserved the C for quite some time. I got a feel for him. You are on this team that is trying to establish a winning culture, and that takes time. But you're also trying to be consistent with your winning. That four-game winning streak for this team meant a lot to this team. And for them to, it's one thing to lose and have that streak end. It's a whole other thing to work your way up and win four games in a row, and then you undo that progress, and now you find yourself six points out of a wild-card spot with one game to go before the break, and all these other teams that were kind of hobbling a little bit. Seattle was no longer winning eight or nine in a row. Uh, The LA Kings are falling, and people are wondering if Todd McClellan is on the way out. Arizona, St. Louis, Nashville are hanging around in front of you. Like, this was the time for the Flames. If they really wanted to prove people different about this roster, this was the time for them to accumulate some some wins and go on a run. That is not happening. And now you're at a point where your game on Saturday against Chicago in the bottom of the standings, but has somehow given you trouble this season and last season has to be the best game of the season. On one hand, yes, it has to be that. On the other hand, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, Shan Virgie hanging out with me, Killer Cam Hughes. I mean, I could call him Cameron Hughes. That's his government name. But that is I, my govy. I, I do I do call you Killer Cam. <laughs> you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but is that not embarrassing? Absolutely. It's embarrassing to get to a point where you've had so much trouble against these teams below you in the standings. I respect what Ryan Huska said yesterday, the Flames head coach, about how the gap between teams is closer than ever before, and if you don't bring your best stuff on any given night, you are going to lose. But we have seen it in this market. I've only been here like a year and a half. I've seen it enough where the Flames do not play their best stuff against teams below them as their competition. So for the fact that it, that they have to look at that Chicago game, you guys remember how it went earlier in the month, right? You guys saw the Sportsnet broadcast oh, where Don good. Maloney was was in an intermission said the players dictate what this team is going to do ahead of the trade deadline, and they lose that game against the team that had more money on injured reserve than on their active roster. This game against Chicago, that's the biggest game of the year. It's true, but also the fact that it's at that point. This is just me. That's embarrassing. They should not be at this point. It's the reason they missed. Well, there's so many reasons, but it was one of the main reasons they missed the playoffs last year. You lost to Chicago three times, and one of those games was at the end of the year. And the effort, I, I guess, was was somewhat there, but it it's not where you need to be. It's not desperate enough, and it, it's this. The Flames have done this for quite a long time now, where they play down to the level of an opponent that all, all they really have going for them is a bunch of young guys trying to prove themselves. So yeah, they play hard, and they just they cannot match that. And like honestly, Julian, what is your confidence for the Flames going into this game against Chicago? Like, <laughs> I mean. This is a team they need to handle, and I would like to think that off of these last few games, they should know they can't let that losing streak extend to five. I want to think that they're going to play better tomorrow. I want to think that they're going to have a game where for 40 minutes, they're they're listless. Mm-hmm. 
what is it, five even strength shot attempts in the third period against Columbus. And it's not as if Columbus was fully dominant in that game either. The only player who I thought was really good for them was Johnny Gaudreau. He was and how he was skating around players, making end-to-end plays, making passes and stuff. Like, it got to a point where the fans were booing him so much. I was like, these fans should probably stop booing him because you're just fueling him, right? Like, he was just fine. Yeah, But it's he- not as if the Columbus Blue Jackets were this downright better team. Calgary had that game to win, and they did not play well enough. No, they they looked... Columbus, it, it, it was simple. simply put, they were playing harder. And I, I also like Texier's game a lot yesterday. Texier yeah. played well. He now, did do well. The, the follow-up question is, if they are to lose to Chicago tomorrow, yeah. is that officially the... Let's let's start making some moves here. It's time to to realize what's going on here. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Whoa. It's funny you mentioned that because I read the tweet of one Eric Francis just before I got in here. I, I, I'm sure people who listen to this radio station, they love Eric Francis. No one on the text line will have any bad thing to say. 960, 960 if you want to text us. Never. Uh, no, Eric Francis is the best. He generally is. I, I like him, but you know what? Being a little facetious, I get it. It's a bit of a polarizing thing, but he enjoys it. Anyway, here's a tweet I read from Eric Francis before I got in today. Okay, it's a little long. Maybe I won't read all of it, but essentially it starts off with AJ Greer and the horrific ankle, the ankle injury suffered yesterday, which uh, up to now, I don't know if we have that timetable available there. I know with that stuff, they're not always, you're not going to get that stuff right away. But the part of the tweet I'm going to get to here, Right at the end. Four losses in a row at home during a crucial time makes Craig Conroy's job a lot easier as there is no longer a need to balance staying in a playoff race with making long-term moves. Let the trading begin. Dun, dun, dun. Boom. Whoa. I saw that. Look, I look. I work for The Athletic. I, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to do a show on Sportsnet 960. Love hanging out with you guys. Love being part of the family. But I understand the writer, the top dog in this market for Sportsnet is Eric Francis. And for him to say, let the trading begin, I've seen a lot of people online latch on to that. I mean, have you seen anything from this team to suggest that they shouldn't be doing that? I mean, Don Maloney, I mean, if you go back to, to what he said against Chicago, he said the players dictate this. And the players essentially have dictated through their play that, yeah, it's probably worth selling off these assets and rebuilding and retooling. I think that rebuilding, I, I still think that's, it's, it's not something you could just do in one deadline. Like, that's something that's the deadline. That's the offseason. You're going to players and you're asking them to move their no-movement contracts. You're also hoping that there are teams out there who can stomach some of those salaries. That's some salary retention on your part. That's a bigger, that's a big thing to do. But at least selling off some of those assets to begin, that's a conversation I think you're having more of, especially after these last results, especially if you lose to Chicago again on Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. Uh, I believe Scott Oak tweeted that uh, Chris Tanev will be the guest on After Hours Oh, nice! after the game, so that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no way. Like, I, I totally get it. Like, I, I think... The time to sell assets that you're thinking about, it's front of mind now. And I don't know, I don't know, and think about, I don't know if you realize this, but after the All-Star break, 
You get Boston as your first opponent Whoa. in Boston. Woof. You have New Jersey after that, a team that's fighting to make the playoffs. Yeah. You have the New York Islanders. You have Patrick Waugh. They're trying to get the new coach bump in. And then after that road trip, at the end of that road trip, you get the New York Rangers in MSG. Now, the the, the pushback I'll have on, on what Don Maloney said and, and the UFAs, when when he says the players dictate what's going to happen, yeah, I'd say Noah Hannafin's playing his best hockey. I agree with that right now. So he's 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 been playing really well. Chris Tanev is just solid. He always has been. So yep. and and, and he's a leader in that locker room as well. A yeah. lot of guys love him in that room because he plays. I mean, he takes pucks to the face. Like that's that's just a guy you want to have in in your room. And you know, we can talk about Lindholm's play, and I'm sure we will. That, that he hasn't been dictating that the Flames should should keep this group going. He, that, that that hasn't been him, but with Hanfin playing so well, I think it's the players that are already on contract and and for a while that are making this look like it's time to retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. Before I get to the Hanifin point and some other stuff that we need to get to here on Sportsnet today, uh, someone texted in. If you're going to text in at 960-960, it'd be cool if you leave your name and where you're at. Uh, Eric Francis is awful. That's a text that just came in. I oh. haven't found a single person who likes him. Cannot stand him and Kelly Rudy. Kelly Rudy? Where is this coming from? The Kelly nicest Rudy? man on the planet. What? And then at the end it says, what are you guys smoking? What? Where's the smoke for Kelly Rudy? Oh, Kelly yeah. Rudy's one of the nicer guys, one of the nicest people you can come across. I don't know, man. Look, anyway, this is not the Eric Francis show. <laughs> he still has his own show, right? He oh, has yeah. an hour on Flames Talk. Hey, good for him. That's great. With uh, the guy who looks like McLovin. That's right. Yeah. Today. That's that's awesome. Shout out uh, Patrick Steinberg and Eric Francis. Noah Hannafin, question for you. Yep. Where? Do, okay, the guy who texted in the Eric Francis tweet, uh, Josh from Langdon. I will give him that. Or is that is that no. actually him? No, it's the wrong this guy. It's just a different one. It's a different one. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, he, said, he said another <laughs> yeah. tweet about Francis that I'm not going to read. Um, Noah Hannafin. Where do you stand on signing or re-signing Noah Hannafin, Shan? I, from what I've seen this year, if you asked me this at the beginning of the year, I would have said trade him. Like he, he's a really he's a good player and he's a smooth skater. He's got off he's got some serious offensive upside, and I, I'd call him pretty solid in the defensive end. You stick him with Chris Tanev, that's it's a really good pairing. But he's been playing really well. Yeah. And when I look at some of the other UFAs, like there's going to be a team that will pay pay so much to have Chris Tanev because they think he's their key to the cup, right? And Lindholm, I think we all know the direction that's heading. If you do trade both of those away, I'd be totally fine re-signing Hannafin because he has been solid and he he can play. He, he's a perfect top four defenseman, in my, my opinion. He does everything you need him to do, and his offensive touch has been there this year. So I, I also think that you can get so much at the deadline for him, right? Because he has a relatively affordable contract. You retain a little bit of salary. I think that's a first-round pick right there and, mm-hmm. and some more, right? So I, I'm actually happy either way. He's the one that I, I would be fine either way. Chris Tanner would be great to see him stay, but some team will pay a lot. And Lindholm, it's it's just it's time to go. I think for Lindholm, of all the pending, the, the big three of the pending UFAs, that's the guy who I think you could stand to get the biggest return from. I think you need, this is just my view, and you can tell me different, you need... A forward prospect or a young player who can step in the lineup right away, preferably a center, because your center depth is going to take a hit. Uh, a draft pick of some sort. I think it's going to be a situation where the Flames either get a first round pick, 
like a really good first round pick and maybe a lesser prospect mm-hmm. or maybe you get like a later first round pick or a second round pick, but the play, the young player and the prospect you get is going to be key. In fact, uh, one thing I'm, I'm, I guess a bit of a tease here I'm working on with Corey Pronman. We're trying to size up. I remember when Bo Horvat got traded from the Vancouver yeah. Canucks to the New York Islanders, essentially the Canucks got like two young pieces and, and, and a roster player. Mm-hmm. Well, they got a draft pick. They got Atu Ratu mm-hmm. and uh, Anthony Bavillier. So like that could work as a framework, which is also kind of funny because Horvat signs immediately after that deal at 8.5 mil. And that technically works as a uh, contract comparable for Elias Lindholm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's the, I think that's, I, I wonder if that is plausible, especially now that Elias Lindholm is not exactly playing at his best. The team that sticks out to me there w- would be Columbus. They have so many prospects. They have a couple of young centers as well, but I, I, I would I would expect to see a second and a and a good player, good young player, mm-hmm. than a first and a prospect that needs some work. That's what I would expect to see more from from the Flames here. I do want to get to some good news because yesterday, even though it wasn't a loss, it was still a really good night for one Oliver Shillington. And welcome back, number fifty-eight. For the first time in 20 months, over 600 days, uh, Oliver Shillington back in the Calgary Flames lineup, playing alongside Jordan Osterley, uh, plays 13, 16, 19 shifts. I got to say, I liked how we looked yesterday. For a guy who had not played an NHL game since May 2022, I thought he looked good. I also liked how the fans cheered him when he was first introduced in the starting lineup. I like the fact that uh, the team did that and they put him uh, in a position where he could be celebrated by the fans. I've mentioned this yesterday. I've mentioned this on previous platforms. I'm still warmed and amazed at how people for the most part have responded to this story and have tried to give him his privacy and have not for the most part anyway, have not tried to, make these baseless speculations about why he's been gone. We know it was a family issue. At least that's what was said initially when Brad tree living was still here. He announced it at the beginning of last training camp, but the fact that he was able to overcome that and be able to play yesterday and look as good as he did in the limited amount of time that he did play. That's comforting. I think that's really good for him. There's steps to go. Obviously he'll be the first to tell you that, but I like the skating. There was an instance in the first period where he's keeping the puck in the offensive zone on a forecheck. He took a pass from Jonathan Huberto in stride in the neutral zone. He tried to, he, he said he regretted not cutting to the net and going to the second post. He tries to get a shot off. He misses the net. But could you imagine what the dome would have been like if he scored on that play? It, wow. It would have it would have been awesome. And I, you're right. I, I think for, I, I'd say the team handled it very, very well. And a large majority of the fans were very patient, and I guess patience isn't really the right word, but they were they were pretty good about the situation. And I think the talk started to ramp up when he came back for training camp and then left after that. And you know, it, it's so good to see him back, but he did look really good. I think he's such a good skater. Part of his problem, he would fall down a lot. <laughs> he would, 
And he just, he looked, his skating was awesome yesterday. Mm-hmm. And he had a couple rushes. You're right. He had, yep. ch- he had chances to score. There was that one where he, he, uh, he busted up the left seam and, and took it to the net. And he had a good shot on net. So, um, yeah, he, he looked, he looked really good. It's one of those feel good stories. And I think it, for a team that's still recovering from the lack of feel good stories last year, and, you know, we've got some young players that have come up, but that's, this is one of the best that we've seen in, in a couple of years. It would have been a lot better had the team won that game, even if they, like the, I mean, even if the last two periods didn't go the way that they did, it's a much easier story to tell. Or, I mean, some people still able, were still able to tell that story anyway, but it's an even better feel good story if the Flames win that game. They win it for Oliver. Oliver does his thing, and it's enough to win. Like it was right there. It just didn't happen. Uh, but I, I'm really happy that Oliver Shillington was able to play. I'm really happy that he was able to to make it work. And the Flames have a defenseman that they could just have in their their third pairing. Even got shifts in the third period where they were putting with Mackenzie Weaker. Like that was good. That was that. I I I think with 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 Oliver Shillington and the skill set that he has, if he continues to get eased in, continues to get up to speed, like I like that for him. And I, I know it's a one game sample. It, it's, yeah, it's like there's a lot to go. You have the break too, and. He'll presumably be on that road trip. Mm-hmm. Well, if just if he's able to play the way that he was, you know, before before he took his leave, mm-hmm. and with his his speed, his offensive upside, and all that, does it make a Noah Hannafin trade easier? I don't know if I want to go that far. Mm-hmm. I feel like whatever you're able to get from Oliver Shillington to this point, remember he's also a pending UFA too. Yeah, uh, I feel like whatever you get from Oliver Shillington at this point is like found money mm-hmm. because. He's a third pairing guy at the end of the day who has the skill, th- skill set that he has, but he's a third pairing guy. And you do have other defensemen in your system who, in a pinch, you plug them up and you get them to play. But to have a guy like Shillington there who's able to play, who's able to bring up some spirits in that room, I don't know if I can. I mean, maybe more games have to happen and maybe he has to look a certain way. Uh, but. I don't. I consider that as found money. I consider that as just like you go on your couch, you find twenty dollars. You're like, oh hey, I thought I lost this. I I think that's just good vibes. Uh, one more thing before we uh, get to a break here. One other element from this game. Well, there's actually two other elements really. Um, let's get to the hit from Jonathan Huberto on Jack Roslovic. He's from along the boards. He's kind of behind, but kind of on the side. The reason, a big reason why it looked as bad as it did, is because Roslovic's face looked very bloody. Uh, I, as far as I've seen, I don't think the Department of Player Safety has tweeted anything about it. Uh, Huberto did get five and a game misconduct. Maybe that's all that we're going to see mm-hmm. from that. What did you think of the hit? Did you think that it was worth a suspension? Do you think it was worth a, a stingier punishment? I, 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 I'm inclined to think that. At worst, you give it a game, but I mean, he did get kicked out of the game. I I don't know how much more they're willing to give. I, I'm seeing a lot of people on social media talk about how, and this, this hit was a big talking point last night because so many players are not protecting themselves as well as they need to mm-hmm. when they're along the boards. And listen, I know the hitting is nowhere where it used to be and they've cracked down on a lot of this stuff. You still have to protect yourself. With that being said, it's not like Roslovic turned his whole body 180 into the boards at the last second. 
his numbers were showing to Huberto the entire time. Yes. And Huberto continued to stride, uh, to skate towards him. And Roslovic at the last second turned a little bit into the boards, but he still saw the numbers and he and he hit him in. So I, I truthfully I wouldn't be surprised if it was a one game suspension. However, him not getting suspended and getting the five in, in a game I think is also fair. Yeah, as far as we've seen, uh, no update from unless we've missed something here. No, nothing from the Department of Player Safety. Uh, they've assessed some other. Uh, there was a hearing given out for Brendan Gallagher, which I, I would like to get to before the end of the show. Yep. Uh, Michael Kesselring in, in Arizona uh, gets a fine, but nothing from the DOPS with regards to Jonathan Uberdo. Uh, it would probably, inc- I mean, we'll see how it goes as the rest of the afternoon plays out. Uh, one more thing AJ Greer, really, really tough injury to see yesterday. And I mean, it did not look good. I, from my, from where I was sitting in the press box, he's seeing him get carried off the ice, uh, not putting any weight on that left leg. Uh, Ryan Huska yesterday wasn't able to provide a timetable for him, but it looked pretty bad. I, I would think that we're not going to see him tomorrow against Chicago. Uh, he'll need that time over the break to recuperate, mm-hmm. but we'll we'll definitely try to keep an eye out for how long he may be gone. But I'm very curious about what that means uh, for in terms of, of what your fourth line looks like for, for Saturday's game. You already have Cole Schwint, who's up. I think he's been okay. Yeah. I've liked what Adam Klapka has been able to provide in terms of a physical presence. Uh, but now who takes that left wing spot? I really liked that fourth line yesterday. Yeah. That, that was a standout to me. And you saw Greer go down. I, I thought that was one of the better lines for the Flames uh, in the beginning of that game. I know there's been a lot of talk about Emilio Pedersen. But I think he should get called up at some point. Yeah. And he's he's playing really well. And, and he's he can play that fourth line role. He's not, he's not just there to score. So... Um, I, I would like to see that at some point, but at the same time, watching Schwint, Klapka, and Dewar on on a fourth line together—true, Walker Dewar is back up. The thing is, those are those are four right-handed sh- or three right-handed shots, right? So, yeah. so who who can Klapka fill the left wing? Is is do, is that something Dewar's comfortable with? Because I know he's always been a right winger when he's on that fourth line. So, I, I'm curious to see what they do. Um, but Dewar, I I think his stint should have been a little longer in the AHL, but. They kind of need him up right now. They really do. It's, it's you lost Ruzicka. We know that. So that's someone you probably would have. I don't think he would have been put on waivers if that injury happened a day before, right? So, uh, Patterson at some point, but I think Dewar right now is the natural fit. Uh, does Clark Bishop do anything for you? <sighs> well, I, you could give one of those guys a chance because how many young guys can you call up in your roster? to the point where you have a serious lack of experience when you're trying to push for the playoffs, right? Zeri's been really good. We all know that. Pospisil's out. Coronado has his his offensive flair, but when you had too many young guys in this roster, I think that it can get to a point where it's too much when you're trying to push for playoffs, right? Yeah. Uh, that's the voice of Shan Vergee. Uh, Cam Hughes worked with us in production as well. This is Sportsnet Today here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Um, we're going to take a quick break because, uh, we look, we talked for a good 20 something minutes. People we got to get ourselves some water. Also on the other side of the break, Mark Lazarus from the athletic will chime in and, uh, we'll talk, uh, Chicago Blackhawks, the next opponent for the Calgary flames on Saturday. Uh, we'll take a short break here. Welcome back to sports that nine sixty. the fan. Julian McKenzie here. Logan Gordon has the Friday off. It's kind of kind of nice. 
No, I'm kidding. I could get used to this. We we be, we miss Logan around it's really here. Really peaceful around it, here. I today. mean, yeah. He, Logan's not sniping at you guys in between breaks. Not getting yelled at. Not getting yelled at. Not trying to overrule the station like a tyrant. He'll be back next week. Uh, but I am in the A chair through two, three o'clock. Uh, really good opening segment. Uh, I believe we podcast all the uh, the segments and episodes here. So uh, make sure to subscribe to Sportsnet 960 wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you get your podcasts. Absolutely. Exactly. So if you miss any of it, you can go back and check it out. We'll have Matt Marchese on in the second hour to talk NFL. But first, good friend of mine on the line, a good colleague at The Athletic, Mark Lazarus, who covers the Chicago Blackhawks. That is the Calgary Flames' next opponent at home on Saturday. And for now here, uh, we have Mark Lazarus here on 960. Mark, how are you doing, my man? I'm good. And hey, hey, look, if you want to get yelled at, I'm your man. I'm here for you. Oh, man. I don't know if I could take getting yelled at by you. <laughs> it's a little more emphatic from a New Yorker, isn't it? Oh yeah, for sure. Just but you, and you don't have like the the stereotypical New York accents. So you're not going to be like, I'm walking here, I'm walking here, and all that. Oh, you should have met me when I was 17 years old, my man. <laughs> <laughs> well, a different time. Uh, yes, we will be seeing Chicago uh, at the Saddle Dome against the Calgary Flames. We've brought it up in our opening segment how big of a deal this is supposed to be for Calgary, considering the losing streak that they're on and this is a team that beat Calgary at the beginning of the month with all those players injured Connor Bedard is not available for this team Mark Uh, the first question I want to ask you is well how's life been for you covering this team without Connor Bedard available on the ice it's kind of like screaming into the void you're just writing and you know nobody's paying attention (laughs) oh no don't do this you want to talk about losing streaks the Blackhawks have lost 19 consecutive road games. Oh, my God. 19 consecutive. They last won a road game eight days after the World Series ended. What? I they didn't realize it was that long Tampa, ago. November 9th. Okay. This is, this like, is we're bad. We're up to spring training. <laughs> Man, we're not that far off from spring training. And now that you mentioned that, I'm sure there are Flame fans who are hearing this, and they're like, oh, the streak's going to end on Saturday. Everyone, Edmonton, Edmonton fans said that, Seattle fans said that, Vancouver fans said that. They've all said that. It hasn't come to fruition yet. Well, we'll have to wait and see uh, up on Saturday night when that game goes down. But, like, with this team just trying to play, I mean, we knew there weren't going to be a lot of expectations for this year's roster, even with Connor Bedard in the lineup. Just <laughs> as best as you could describe it, what have they been looking like? How have they been playing? What do they still need to get right? Well, since Bedard went down, they've kind of completely reinvented themselves. They can't score goals. Like, they have 10 goals in their last nine games. It's almost unfathomable. Oh, but they are working so hard. It's almost like you feel bad for them because they've kind of reimagined themselves as this, like, super hardworking, defensive-minded team. You know, they really kind of held the Oilers at bay. They hold everybody at bay. They just, if you give up, if they give up one or two goals, they're, they're, they're doomed. They just cannot score. They have nobody up front that can finish. Uh, with Bedard out and with Taylor Hall out and I mean Tyler Johnson. I mean, they still have a ton of guys injured. But they just don't have any finishers. They got a whole bunch of guys that are working really hard and have absolutely nothing to show for it. It's kind of, you know, you're almost frustrated for them because they're just, you know, they're, they just can't do it. They just, it's just a bunch of, you know, tweeners and AHL guys and waiver wire pickups. Uh, and it's kind of remarkable what they're doing, but at the same time, they can't score, you can't win. 
about six weeks back until uh, six weeks until Connor Bedard returns. Do I have that right? Uh, it's hard to say for sure. Uh, the initial timeline from the surgery was six to eight weeks, and that was about that was a couple of weeks ago. But uh, the other day in Vancouver, Luke Richardson he started, kind of started a firestorm by saying at least six weeks. But I think he was just speaking off the cuff, and that was still in the six to eight week range. But Dart's skating like they 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 basically have to tie the kid down to keep him from going on the ice. He just he will not stay off the ice. Um, Nick Foligno is trying to tell him not to not to skate so much, not to put so much effort in. They have to tell him he can't take slap shots because he can't grit his teeth, so he can't exert himself out there. Uh, but he he's desperately trying to come back sooner. But I mean, the bones have to settle. It's it, it, it's a broken bone. The good news is it's not the kind of injury that could linger, like a back injury or a hamstring injury or a knee injury that could plague him throughout his career. The bad news is it just takes time. There's no you can't speed up a bone healing. You've mentioned uh, Nick Foligno in that last answer. It seems like lately Kyle Davidson, the GM of Chicago, is handing out some 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 sh- kind of shorter term extensions to some of those veterans. Like a guy like Nick Foligno gets a little bit of a raise after this season through 2026. Jason Dickinson on a two year extension. Even Peter Morazek got himself a new contract. Uh, why at those? Why at that length for those players? Why are they getting extensions? Why those guys? Well, they've been. Arguably three of the most, you know, Dickens, other than Connor Bedard and Alex Vlasic, the, 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 the young defenseman, those have been like the three best Blackhawks. Dickens has been terrific. He's having a career year. Uh, Felino is the captain of this team. They, they, they don't have a captain this year out of kind of respect for Jonathan Taze. They just decided not to have a captain this year. Mm-hmm. But Nick Felino is clearly the captain. And Mirazic's been really good. Like his numbers don't show because of the defense he's behind, but he has been pretty remarkable in that, uh, uh, given what he's working with. And you know, the Blackhawks are playing a long game here. I mean, they're not going to be contending in the next two years. They're not even going to be a cap team in the next two years. So what they're able to do is overpay these guys. None of these guys are going to get $4.5 million a year anywhere else. But the Blackhawks need to get to the cap floor. They like these guys a lot. They're all great in the room. They've been very effective on the ice. So they get a good payday out of it. They get to be kind of the leaders that usher in this next generation of Blackhawks. But Dard gets a couple of years before he's got to wear the C because Felino can wear it the next two years. And it just works out well for everybody. They're just three really good locker room guys who have also been effective on the ice. You, you, you can't have all 19-year-olds on the team. you got to have some veterans. And with, you know, Taves and Kane gone and not a lot of uh, real, like, stability here, those three guys give them some of that. Yeah, that last part's important, too. I would, I would have, And I was going to follow up with that. Just how important is it for Connor Bedard when he is healthy and playing to have some kind of stability around him for however long he is a Blackhawk? Well, yeah, I mean, he, his line mates this year, he, it's, it, it, you know, it was supposed to be Taylor Hall, and he blew out his knee early in the season. So, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, has just been cycling through line mates like underwear. Like, he has had no consistency at all before he got hurt. You know, Philip Kurashev has been up there, and he's a nice player, but he's probably not a top-line guy. They need, to, they need to get somebody to play with them. They're still hoping it's Taylor Hall next year, but coming off the knee surgery, who knows? So maybe they go out and they add someone this summer, but... They're not going to be very aggressive. They're not going to be offer sheeting Elias Pedersen or anything like that. They're not. They're two years away from probably a summer where they start spending. So just to have some kind of stability. Nick Foligno has been a, a pretty common line line mate for Bedard. And Foligno, he's 36 years old, but he's got more skill than I thought he did. I mean, he's a former first round pick. He can play. Uh, they just need to get someone who can kind of hang with Bedard because he's when he is healthy, he's making these amazing backhand no look passes to nobody because he doesn't have anyone creative enough to, to think the way he does. So uh, some form of stability in that locker room with all the changeovers of the last few years will be good for Bedard, be good for Frank Nazar when he comes up, be good for Kevin Korchinski in his first year. Uh, these young guys need those kind of like North Stars to hang on to. 
Uh, Mark Lazarus from The Athletic is on with us here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. This is Sportsnet Today. I'm Julie McKenzie. Shan Vergie is here as well. Cam Hughes on the ones and twos. Uh, you've mentioned, we're, we were talking earlier about uh, the players getting extensions. Uh, so if some of those guys are going to stick around, what does that mean for Chicago ahead of the trade deadline in March? Who are some pieces that could still go? It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be interesting. After all the drama last year with Kane and Taze and, and McCabe and Lafferty and all those guys, it's going to be a very quiet deadline for the Hawks. I mean, they're going to be probably looking to acquire, if anything, you know, take on kind of like what they do with, with Mrazek's contract and Jason Dickinson's contract and Nikita Zaitsev's contract. Get a second-round pick out of someone for freeing up some money for them. There'll be, a, there'll be money brokers here because, I mean, Colin Blackwell could be had. He's a nice, you know, high-motor bottom-six guy. Uh, Tyler Johnson, if he was healthy, mm-hmm. might be appealing. He's a, you know, he's a rings-in-the-room kind of guy. Uh, but they just don't have any pieces. Dickinson, Morazic, and Felino were the trade pieces they had, and they all just and they decided wisely, I think, that keeping them around was more valuable than like a fourth round pick or whatever you'd get for them. So it's going to be a very quiet deadline in Chicago. They've already done the teardown, right? So they're just kind of on the way back up now. Uh, one piece who is no longer part of the team and would not be part of whatever deadline plans they have is Corey Perry. Uh, we know about the mysterious incident that led to him leaving the team. Uh, and now he finds himself playing for the Edmonton Oilers. You were just in Edmonton. Uh, just your thoughts on the fact that he's able to play for another team. We know that the hurdle wasn't there, but considering all the speculation that had been going around Corey Perry and what might have happened, what might not have happened, how surprised are you that he's back playing for an NHL team? Yeah, he he didn't leave the team. He got kicked off the team. There's a difference there, obviously. Um, and this is what Edmonton has done this before. You know, our, our, our colleague, Daniel Nugent Bowman wrote a really good column about it after they signed him is that Edmonton doesn't care. They will take, they think you can help them win a Stanley cup. They will take you. They don't care about the off ice stuff. Um, and there's always in this, in this sport, it feel like there's always somebody who's going to take you right. Like when this first happened, we're like, wow, Corey Perry's done. His hall of fame hopes are over. He still needed another couple of years. And it's just, you know what, two months later, he is on one of the best teams in the league. That's the NHL for you. Right. Yeah. And uh, what I'm curious about is how much Edmonton really knows about what happened. Because there are, you know, his teammates, his ex-teammates in Chicago, his, some of his closest friends still don't know the entire story. They swear up and down, off, on and off the record, that they don't know what happened exactly. So I'm curious just how honest he was with Edmonton. If Kyle Davidson spilled the beans to them. Like, I don't, I, I want to know what Edmonton knows that they were so confident that they could sign him. That, look, we all know that the Blackhawks have a, have to have a zero tolerance policy on almost any kind of indiscretion at this point in the wake of the Kyle Beach disaster, right? Yeah. So there's there's the idea that you know you can get kicked off the Blackhawks for something that wouldn't get you kicked off of any other team. There might be some truth to that. Maybe what happened wasn't so bad, but I would really want to know all the facts before bringing him aboard. And uh, yeah, I, I I'd love to know what Edmonton knows. I'm still stunned that guys in Chicago don't know the entire story. I know we've talked about this. Uh, on the athletic hockey show, but like, if I'm in the room, I want to know what happened. I want to know, at least have some idea as to what happened. How is it that players on that team still don't know? Whatever happened obviously was uh, sensitive enough that they, that, you know, either people aren't talking or I don't know. NDAs were fine. I I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have, I don't have all the details. Trust me. I'm trying to find all the details. But I do not have all the details yet. Until we know the entire story, we certainly won't like report the whole story. Um, but it, it's been very, very secretive around the team of what exactly went down. Like they just said, you know, it was a workplace incident. 
and it was unacceptable behavior, and they terminated his contract. And now, you know, with the NHLPA appealing that, uh, I'm really curious to see if some of those details spill out as they try to uh, recoup that money that he lost. Uh, another story uh, we've been obviously tracking in the hockey world is the report from Globe and Mail earlier this week from Robin Doolittle, uh, the latest on on Hockey Canada and the 2018 World Junior uh, scandal. You wrote a column for The Athletic. Uh, it's titled, Lazarus, as charges loom in Hockey Canada scandal, the sport can no longer hide. For those who didn't read the report from Robin Doolittle, five players have been told to surrender to police in London, Ontario, to face charges uh, again, according to the Globe and Mail. Mark, uh, you wrote a really great column. I would just love to know, again, your thoughts on on this latest development and and, and what led you to write that column. Well, it just feels like, you know, we, we, we've we've had so many of these kind of like, you know, scan, I don't like the word scandal because it sounds salacious, but like, you know, bad things happening in the hockey world from the juniors out to the NHL. And it, it feels like we always move on from them very quickly, but I feel like this one's going to be different because once these names are official, once we have the names, once arrests are made, charges are filed, um, testimonies are heard, it, you can't ignore that anymore. When it's someone that you cheered for, when it's someone whose jersey you bought that you know now was involved in something like this, I think it, it has to change it. It has to change the reality of this. We can't just pretend this doesn't happen anymore. I mean, look, I'm an American. I was not raised in the, in the Canadian junior culture. But from me, from the outside perspective, the junior hockey system in Canada is so beyond messed up. You take these kids from their homes at age 13, 14 years old, you're trading teenagers. Like these kids do not have normal lives. They are raised as superheroes from the time that, that they're in, in puberty. They do not know how to behave as normal people. They're in this insular world in the same locker room with the same people and the same coaches, and they don't grow up properly. They grow up privileged. They grow up thinking they're above everything, that they can get away with anything, that they're stars. And 14-year-olds should not be treated like that because that's how you get 18-year-olds who do things like this, right? So I don't know how you, how you break that up. The whole system, in my mind, needs to be reimagined, rethought, and rebuilt because we can't have you know, children being treated like they're gods because this is what happens. You have people who have no – that they become amoral, no sense of right or wrong. And I know someone's going to say it's just a few bad apples. We've had enough bad apples already, right? There's too many bad apples. So we're doing something wrong in the way we raise these young men that they're willing to haze people, that they're willing to assault people, that they're willing to do these things. And I just think that this is going to be, I, you know, it should be, I should phrase, the straw that breaks the camel's back and really causes us to change things. But this being hockey, it's really easy to be cynical and say, we'll just pretend it never happened. And And the thing I'm also into with this story is, considering that next week is the all-star break and Monday, February 5th is when we're next expected to hear from London, Ontario police about all of this, this cloud, this story is going to hover over the hockey world at a time when it's supposed to be, you know, we're all supposed to have fun and we're all supposed to enjoy the all-star game. I know you'll be there. I'll be there as well in Toronto and people are supposed to be typing up the league's best players I'm really curious what it's going to look like, what the atmosphere is going to feel like for those media days when Gary Bettman talks. Like, how, like what? Like, what's your sentiment on that? Well, I mean, well, let's not forget that like 80 percent of the media there is going to be team employees, right? And they, and they, they kind of run interference. They run interference for the journalism out there by asking like, "Hey, what's your favorite food?" and stuff like that. So there's a there, there's always going to be some of that, but. Well, I just kind of went through this for for a couple of years with the Kyle Beach stuff here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Kyle Beach. The whole specter of that incident 
hovered over everything the Blackhawks did for two years, and it still does to some degree. And every time I mention it, you know, there's people in the comment section complaining about it. But the fact is, you know, Danny Wirtz and, 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 and Jamie Faulkner and the people running this organization, they have said themselves that Kyle Beach is in their head with every decision they make. How do we make sure this doesn't happen again, right? Well, this, is, this should happen now on a much wider scale. This should be everything the hockey world does. This should color it. This, they should, this should be in the back of their heads at all times thinking, how do we make sure this doesn't happen anymore? How do we raise better people? How do we make hockey a safer space for not just the players, but for their fans and, 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 and the people on the periphery of the sport? This should color everything. That's, we went through that in Chicago, and, and it, it's, I think, I hope, I really hope, it's made for a better workplace in Chicago, and maybe that's the silver lining in all this, is that this will be the one that pushes hockey to make real fundamental changes. We see people like Sheldon Kennedy and Brock McGillis and all these people doing good work trying to make hockey a better place, but it's going to take more than two or three people. It's going to take all of us. And it's going to take, sometimes it takes a cataclysmic event like this to really force some action to be taken. In conversation with Mark Lazarus from The Athletic here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. One more question for you, Mark, as we'll, we'll try to lighten it up here. I think that was really well said on your part with regards to Hockey Canada. I will bring it back to Chicago here. Because they're as low as they are in the standings, I'm sure people in in the Blackhawks fan base are going on Tankathon. They're doing the draft lottery simulator. They're trying to see if they could get their team the number one overall pick. Is the fever for Macklin Celebrini a thing? Is that a thing in Chicago? Look, I think that everybody in the hockey world wants to see Chicago win the draft lottery for a second year. <laughs> I think that's a universal thing that everybody agrees. You need to put these stars in the big American market. That's what everybody wants, right? Yeah, you're you're big. You're actually big on that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone wants to see good things happen to Chicago Blackhawks. Yes, they? sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's funny. This we're, the, the city is still so swept up in Bedard stuff that like. Celebrini doesn't even register. Like you, when you win, when your city wins the draft lottery and you get the generational talent, that's it, right? Then you move on. You don't think about the next one. So I don't think Chicago's really got Celebrini fever yet. Um, I, I think you know. I, I wonder how many fans like Celebrini does not have the profile that Bedard did, where it kind of transcended hockey and he became like a known name as a seventeen-year-old. I'm kind of curious myself to see when Chicago latches on to the idea that holy crap, this could happen again. <laughs> Oh, man, you! I can't wait for the collective groans from the rest of the NHL world on that one, in all seriousness. The ping pong, the ping pong balls are being chilled as we speak. Yes, clearly, clearly. Oh, uh, I was almost going to say the R word as a joke, but I don't want people to assume uh, when I say rigged that I'm being serious. Instead, I'll just let you go, Mark Lazarus. Thank you so much uh, for hanging out with us here on Sportsnet today. And uh, if you don't already, subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, Mark does a great job covering Chicago and the NHL for us at The Athletic. Thanks for your time, man. All right, man. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, uh, colleague, good friend of mine. Uh, great to have him on Sportsnet today on uh, 960 The Fan. Uh, we mentioned Eric Francis earlier, and uh, <laughs> it's kind of funny now with how everyone reacted to it. We got to read these ads here. Uh, you see him on Flames broadcast, and you read him on Sportsnet.ca. Eric Francis, he goes solo every Friday at 5 p.m., for Flames Talk, the Eric Francis Hour. So keep it locked here on 960 after we're done. Uh, and make sure you keep it locked for Flames Talk for the Eric Francis Hour. He isn't afraid to ask the tough questions to get the information Flames fans want. This is a must-listen for every Flames fan and is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. 
the Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million, po- million dollar positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18 plus, please play responsibly. When we come back from break here on uh, Sportsnet 960, the fan, Matt Marchese uh, from Sportsnet will talk NFL with us. We'll look at Championship Sunday. I will also give him uh, a space to talk and grieve over the Buffalo Bills. That's his team. We all know what happened to them in, in the divisional round. I'm just going to give him that space because, you know, it's a bit of a difficult time. I can imagine for a lot of Buffalo Bills fans, you have all endured enough suffering over these last how many years. So I can imagine it might be a little bit uh, therapeutic. Nightmares of Patrick Mahomes for every Bills fan. Yeah, got to say, just three times. You can't even call it a rivalry at this point because of the fact that Patrick Mahomes has been the winner all three times the in those games marquee are, matchups. They're so good, though. They're great every games. game is great. They've gotten better and better and better. Yeah, It's crazy how that's worked out for Kansas City. Uh, they're the ones in the AFC Championship game against Baltimore, Detroit, and San Francisco on the other side. Again, we will talk to Matt Marchese on the other side of the break. You are listening to Sportsnet 960, The Fan.